Luke chapter 22, I'm going to start up at verse 7. This is what occurred. Now, there, there's a little bit of, of discrepancies of days. Was Good Friday really Good Friday? Was it Friday, actually, that the Lord, day that the Lord died? Some people argue for a Thursday. Some people argue for a... Uh, or even a Wednesday, we're just going to keep it according to tradition. And so we're going to look at tonight as if, well, it's the day before. The day before the Lord is to be crucified, and the evening before was the evening of the Last Supper. Again, in Luke chapter 22, verse 7, it says, Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. Now, there could be a little bit of confusion there, because, well, if it's the night before, and Jesus died the next day, and he's the Passover lamb, why was the Passover lamb killed the day before. Well, for the Jewish mind, for instance, Thursday, Thursday ends at sundown. And so really right now we would be in Friday. And so to the Jewish mind, it is all happening in the same day. Verse 8, and he sent Peter and John, the two apostles, saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. So they said to him, where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then you shall stay, say to the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room. There, make ready. So they went and found it, just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. When the hour had come, he sat down, and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them with fervent desire, and so this is a, a, an anointed, appointed time. With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it amongst yourself. For I say to you that I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So there's a passing or a changing, a transformation that is going on from old covenant to new covenant. And that's what I want to focus on here tonight. Now, in the original Passover, we see it in Exodus, God had given Israel a completely new calendar based upon the worship of Him. And that month was to be Nisan. It was to be the first month of the year. Which kind of brings to question, how come Easter is on a different Sunday every year, pretty much? Does anybody know? Does anybody know? How come, how come it keeps changing? Well, I know you know, Shane. You know everything. At least you think you do. <laughs> Talk to Boomy. Um, and I'm sure what Cheney's going to say is, is that it is the first Sunday after the first full moon after the start of spring, or the spring, uh, what is it called, equinox? Equ yes, equinox, that's it. And so since that changes, then the Sunday's going to change here and there. It's usually around March 20th or so, um, but it'll go into April at times and whatnot. But nonetheless... God sets his calendar. He has set his calendar, and the calendar was to be based upon the Passover lamb. Now, there's typology with the first Passover, the Passover lamb, and the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we've seen those many times, but both were to be without blemish. 
there is punishment for sin, and that punishment is death. And, well, the Lamb who covers versus the Lamb who takes away. We see in the Old Testament that blood, that blood would cover sin, but now we have the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that takes our sins away. Back in the Passover, the angel of judgment would pass over, the angel of death would pass over if you had the blood smeared on the doorpost of your house and the lintel, and that would say that this house is covered with the blood. And then when there was the establishment of the tabernacle and then the temple, then the blood was to cover that as well, and that all led to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, the place where the sacrifice of God was killed, and the blood that covered that, which led to the blood that washed our sins away. And then there's the command, Exodus 12:18. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire. It's a picture of judgment. With unleavened bread, it speaks of the absence of the influence of sin. And with bitter herbs, this is a hard thing to behold, and they shall eat it. When you eat it, same thing with the communion meal, when you eat it, it means you possess it. It means that this is what I believe, and it becomes such a part of me that, that this is who I am. And that's how our belief is. Our beliefs have become such a part of who we are that you cannot separate us from our relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, you know, you Christians, you're okay, but you know what, I don't want to hear about it, but we can't help but speak about it. Whoever is a born-again believer, they're always going to be that representation or that representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then what was not to be consumed was to be destroyed because no one clean thing was to partake of this meal. And then lastly, this meal was to be partaken of in faith, especially the first one, Exodus 12, 11. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, with sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So you are to eat it in faith, knowing that the Lord back then was going to release them from bondage to Egypt or bondage of the world. And it's the same thing as we receive the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that Well, for us, it's a memory that He has delivered us from the bondage of the world. All of these things, all of these things point to a promise that was made earlier in Genesis 22, verses 7 through 8. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And then he said, Look, now put yourself in Isaac's spot. Look, the fire, there's the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? He had to start getting a little suspicious here. And Abraham said, gave him a good answer. My son, God will provide for himself a lamb for a burnt offering. Abraham didn't know, didn't understand, but he's prophesying something that was going to happen some 3,000 years later. That there's going to be that one day on Mount Moriah that God is going to provide, going to provide himself, actually himself, this sacrifice for an offering that are going to wash mankind's sins away. When I was dead in my sins and my trespasses, I was dead, so didn't really realize it, but there came that point when it was pointed out through the Word of God, the sinner that I was. But the problem with that is if you just point out the sin, and that's what the church tends to do at times, pointing out a lot of sin, but we are to preach the gospel, because the gospel is good news that although you are a sinner, Christ came and died for your sins, that he paid the price. He was the sacrifice that was provided in order to wash mankind's sins away. So, what I want to focus on tonight is this transformation that was taking place that night, 
that continues to affect not only our lives here tonight, but the lives of so many people, not only worldwide, but even throughout the ages. There was a transformation that night from a Passover meal, really, to a communion supper. The communion meal that is to speak of a continual fellowship between man and God. We're going to be celebrating that tomorrow night. And again, as we hold those elements in our hands, the idea is I consume these because I consume them through belief. And as I believe them and have consumed them, they become part of who I am. We see this in a threefold description of really what communion is. First, it is a participation. A participation through the consumption of bread and wine. We use juice here. We participate in the body and the blood of Christ. The body and the blood of Christ have transformed me. They have made me into this new creation. It's also a proclamation. It's something that is done publicly. The proclaiming of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. I was a sinner, but Christ, He died for me. And in anticipation, the waiting of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That one day I will truly be with Him, but until that day happens, we wait. We wait. We wait in expectation that maybe He will come back in our day. So just as Jesus spoke of this transformation, again in verses 14 through 18, I want to look in Hebrews. We're going to turn to Hebrews. Go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 9. And we're going to spend the remainder, at least the majority, of our study in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 9. The writer of Hebrews is describing in detail this transition. Now, he's going to, if you would read through the book of Hebrews, he's up here. Lydia. <laughs> She's looking for her husband. He's hiding. He was under the seat. but The writer of Hebrews, he, he's looking at a, a lot of the elements of the Old Testament. He's looking at the Old Testament sacrifice. He's looking at the Old Testament priest. He's looking at the Old Testament utensils and the Old Testament tabernacle. And each time he comes to the same conclusion, Jesus Christ, Lamb of God, is better. Better. And so God, He's taking one thing out to bring something new in. And whenever God takes something out of your life, it's for the purpose of bringing something new into your life that is better. We can so hold on to the old things. I can be an old wineskin that way. But God is constantly wanting to do a new thing in your life. He's constantly wanting to show you new things and bring you into new situations for His glory. We've got to be open to the leading of the Lord because we have been called to reach forward in that higher calling in Christ Jesus. Because an old wineskin, or actually she calls me an old curmudgeon, an old curmudgeon, they just fall into their daily habits, into religious routine. Well, when Jesus Christ came back, who were the ones he had the strongest words for? Those who had fallen into religious routine and no longer had a relationship. The writer of Hebrews wanted Jewish believers to stand strong in their faith and not go back. God had removed the old religious system and has brought in a new relation life. The writer is showing in detail how Christ is the substance of the previous Old Testament picture that we see that was given so long ago. All of these things continually pointed towards the coming of Christ and the death of the Lamb of God. So in verses 11 through 15 here, we're going to see three things that speak of something better. And the first thing that we see is the balance of the blood. In verses 11 and 12, um, again in Hebrews chapter 9, but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come 
with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Now, that day when they were choosing back in, not turning there, but back in Luke, that Passover, they had chosen a lamb some four days earlier. And we've done the math before and estimations by people who do estimations, and I'm sure it's plus or minus, but it's estimated there was somewhere around 250,000 sheep without blemish brought into the city that day. And again, we've seen, we saw it on, on uh, Sunday, in the midst of them was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so what you have in all of those, those lambs that were coming into the city was a constant sacrifice. Just think of it. It had to be a production. And just think, you've got these lambs. Now, they're without spot or blemish. And so they're perfectly white. And then you've got the white linen of the priests. And then you've got blood everywhere. Blood everywhere. It flew into the brook Kidron, and it just had to have this horrible stench of death over the city during that time. And why was it necessary for all of that blood to flow? Because as that blood is flowing, it's covering sin. But what is man continually doing? Man is continually sinning, and so the blood has to be continually flowing until this Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, and the key portion of what I just read is just those simple three words. Once for all. That, That just speaks volumes. One time, some 2,000 years ago on Mount Calvary, for everybody who has ever existed before, who had existed at that time, and who will ever exist from that time forward, which will be inclusive of us. Once and for all, the priest would enter into the Holy of Holies once a year with blood that was to be sprinkled in that area. And the idea was, it's okay, Lord, that I enter in because something died. Something paid the price. And the priest was entering in for the people. Then the Lord entered into the Holy of Holies, into heaven, once, once for all. Once for all. Only he did so with his own blood. And he could say, it's okay, Father, I died for them. He wasn't entering in so much for the people. The idea was, he was entering in with the people. With the people, and, and that's what he's talking about back in John, in John chapter 14 and, and, and verses 1 through 4. He's just getting ready to, to go to the cross, spending some final times with them and giving them final instruction. And, and in chapter 14, verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. Now think of who he's talking to. He's thinking to the apostles. These are people that gave of their livelihoods to follow him. They... they even all through into Acts chapter 1, they had an improper interpretation of what was going to transpire. They thought that Jesus was going to reestablish the kingdom here on earth. But he says, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And so he's saying that I'm going to open the doors. I'm going to open the doors to the throne room of the Father because that's where we'll be continually dwelling. And as he has done so with his own blood, we now can boldly enter in. We have access. Remember that high priest? He would be going in there. What would he do first? He'd have to make sacrifice first because he was a sinner. 
He was a sinner, and so his sins would need to be, to be covered. But just think about it. You're that priest. You make your, your sacrifice at the altar, and you have that surety based upon the word of God that, that your sins are covered, but now you're going to have to enter into the Holy of Holies. If anybody enters into the Holy of Holies with sin that has not been dealt with, they're going to be struck dead. That's why they tied a rope around his waist and kind of led him in in case he would fall down dead. They wouldn't have a dead body in the Holy of Holies. And so just think if that was you. You make your sacrifice... Your sin's covered. You've got a confidence in that. But I don't know how long it took to go from the altar into the Holy of Holies, but let's say it took two minutes. How much sinning can you do in two minutes just with this? And let's, let's even add to What if he stubbed his toe or something like that? And, and he want to admit that he's a sinner to everybody and go back, and so you would be going in and you would be waiting for the lightning from heaven. But now we're told we can boldly enter in. You don't have to worry about it. Why? Because you've been justified. Remember, God chooses to see you just as if you have never sinned. You hear that a lot from me, but I just like saying it. He looks at us just as if we have never sinned. He he looks at us as people who are pure, not based upon works of righteousness, which we have done, but with the precious blood of the Lamb. It's all about being washed clean by the blood of Christ. So there's the balance of the blood. Secondly, there is also the interior and the exterior. And the old way, it was all of the exterior. Verse 13, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sacrifices for the purifying of the flesh... Well, there was the desire to have the flesh pure. And so there was sacrifice after sacrifice and sprinkling and ceremonies and keeping of the law and all of those things. And, and well, what happens when you're putting, forward, putting forth all of that external work? You get tired, you get burned up, you get fed up, you get frustrated, and you, eventually you just quit. But this new way, it deals with the internal. Verse 14, how much more so shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Cleanse your conscience. He's put to death your guilt. Your guilt. I was part of this religion for many years of my life, and even into my adulthood, that they preyed upon your guilt. It's how they operated it's how they manipulated they used people and they used sinners and they preyed upon their guilt if you did certain things then you could be relieved relieved of your guilt is what part of their philosophy was but as all it did was just load people down with a burden that ought not to have been there but as you come now again if you've been made just as if you've never sinned what's there to be guilty of What's there to be guilty of? And even when I say that, maybe some pretty bad sins come to your mind. I would imagine if we all stood up and gave the top ten worst sins that we've all committed, we wouldn't be very comfortable in each other's company anymore. I mean, we've all done some things that we're definitely not proud of. God chooses to cast them as far as the east is from the west. God chooses to remember those no more. And again, that's a supernatural choosing to remember no more. That's a supernatural casting as far as the east is from the west. So by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the internal has happened. See, if you need surgery, 
All of the ointments and creams that you can put on yourself are going to do you absolutely no good. At some point, there has to be that which goes into the eternal. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So it says, it, it pierces even to the division of the soul and the spirit, and joints and marrow. Joints and marrow, that speaks of my body. Spirit speaks of that which communes with God, and soul speaks of my personality. Well, that's the totality of who we are. It's a trichotomy of man, body, soul, and, and spirit. And I, I really believe that he, he, he spoke of joints and marrow because that's as deep as they could go back then. Today, I think instead of joints and marrow, it would probably say even to your DNA that truly you are a new creation in Christ. And, and the, uh, I... This just shows the degree of the depths that the Word of God is able to go, even to my thoughts. Now, I'm privy to my thoughts, obviously. I know what my thoughts are. But it even says the intent of the heart. And that's even deeper a lot of times than I'm able to go. The intent of my heart. Because see, I can lie to myself. I, I, I can make myself look better than I am, at least in my sight, in order to clear my conscience of whatever it might be. But the Word of God has gone deep in order to cause that transformation and that cleaning to take place. Thirdly, a third theme in this section is the necessity of death. Necessity of death. How much more so shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offer Himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. When he offers himself, he offered himself as a sacrifice. Now think of it this way. Jesus offered himself a sacrifice and the blood spilled or he died in order that you may be clean. And now what do we do? We are to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Paul says, I beseech you. What's one of the most important things in your Christian life? Well, I would imagine if Paul's begging us to do something, we should take notice. And he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, by the mercies of God, because God is merciful, you don't have to worry about this, present your bodies as living sacrifices. What's a living sacrifice? It's something that is holy to God. Present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And he says, it's your reasonable service. This is the least you can do based upon what Christ has already done. And he says how to do that, that you would not be conformed through the world, but transformed through the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and perfect will of God. Now in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4, it says, Behold, check this out, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. And we've seen this so many times, that God is just. And so justice demands that a price be paid for the breaking of the law. Here in this nation, if you break the law, you should be prosecuted. That serves justice. That's the problem that we have with people who are in this country illegally. I'm not going one way or the other with this, but the problem's been in it that we've ignored it, and now we don't know what to do with it. We've ignored the punishment that should come from the breaking of the law, and now it's caused this big dilemma where we have families that are in this nation for generations, and it's just become a big mess that they don't know how to get out of it. But God is just. And when there's a breaking of the law... There has to be the punishment. Jesus took the punishment. There was the lambs. Now, remember, there's Adam and Eve. They're hiding in bushes covered with fig leaves. They're hiding in bushes covered with fig leaves because all of a sudden they realize they're sinners. 
and they have an understanding that it's obvious, that God's going to know, and they're understanding the necessity for a covering. But God takes them out of the bushes and says, that's not going to do. And what does it say? It says he fashioned lambskins for their coverings. But the problem with that is you can't just take the skin off a lamb. What do you have to do first? You have to kill it. Now keep in mind, until that occurrence, they've never experienced sin. Now all of a sudden, this is too much for them. But one thing else that they've never had to experience before is death. Now again, just think what happened. is God, and I'm paraphrasing obviously, but God had to tell them, go get the lambs. And they went and got the lambs, and they were slaughtered before their eyes. I don't, you know, somebody's saying, why don't you come over tomorrow night, Pastor Mike, we're going to have a lamb slaughtering. I don't think I'd go. I don't want to see a lamb get killed. It just doesn't sound like good entertainment for me. Um, but they're seeing it for the very first time. Death. They probably didn't even know what death was. They're seeing it for the very first time. And the idea is, because you sinned, there's a death is entering in. Something has to pay the price. Now, we know that this is pointing towards the death of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. But because you've sinned, this lamb, this perfect lamb, it now has to die. And again, it had to strike terror in their heart. Verse 15, And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Verse 15 is the introduction with verses 16 through 28, the description of the presentation of the point that he's trying to make. And so we see the purpose of the Old Testament sacrifice, a mark of faithful obedience and a symbol of the one perfect sacrifice that would soon enter in or at one point enter in and be the means for salvation. Luke chapter 24, verse 46 then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. It was necessary for Messiah to die. It was God's plan from the beginning of the world. But the writer of Hebrews is going to give us some examples why it was so necessary. Why was it necessary for Messiah to die? It was necessary for Messiah to die because it was the will of a will. Verse 16 and 17 for where there is a testament or a last will, there must, also, uh, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it is no power at all while the testator lives. Many years ago, when my wife and I were having kids, most of you know we have four of them, my wife and I decided we need to make a will. In that will, it stated who would watch the kids in our absence, who would inherit the insurance, we had an insurance plan, and who would get all of our stuff. But the main clause in that contract, we had to die first. You just don't get the kids or the stuff, but you, none of that happens. It's really useless until there's the death. The main clause in this contract is the same clause in that we see back in, in the Old Testament. There's a great promise of salvation, but first there has to be the death. My dad, before he died, told me everything that I was going to inherit, and last, when he finished his, his whole thing, says, oh, by the way, your mom has to go first. Well, a will, a testament, is of no benefit until the testator dies. Without the death of Christ, the Old Testament is either useless or still in force. It's still enforced. It, nothing's really changed until Christ had to come and Christ had to die. 
Again, it's all part of God's plan, and that's the writer of Hebrews' point, so that we would know and understand that this was God's will from the beginning. Matter of fact, one day Jesus is talking to Peter, and it says in verse 21 of, it won't be on the board, of Matthew chapter 16, it says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must, because again, it's part of the plan, it's the reason why he came, that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed and be raised that, that third day. He's wanting them to know and understand this so that when it comes, they understand that these things are supposed to happen. Verse 22, Peter's saying the wrong thing again. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Now, it's pretty strong language. But you have to understand what Christ is talking about. He's talking about the necessity of his death. There was nothing that was to stop him, nothing that was to prevent him from that death. That's one of the things that the devil used to tempt him. If you bow down before me, I'll give you all of these kingdoms. Well, Jesus was going to get all the kingdoms, but it was through a cross, not bowing down before the devil. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16-17 through 17 says, So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance, that which they all pointed to, is Christ. Jesus validated all of those things by his death. Secondly, it was necessary for Messiah to die because vindicating demands bleeding. Verses 18 through 20. Therefore, Not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wood and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of ministry, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or no release from. And so, there's Moses. He's giving the law. Now, let's just say his group likes sitting right here. And he's got this little bowl. It's blood mixed with water. And as he's giving the law, he's got this handful of of hyssop, and he's throwing it like that, and he's splattering blood all over the people. Now, have you ever had blood splattered all over you? I haven't. Sounds kind of disgusting, and my wife would probably get irritated because it would be hard to deal with in the laundry. But it, it had to be a, a pretty disgusting thing. But again, what he's wanting, the point that they're trying to make, that God's trying to make to the people is the violation of the law, just like with Adam and Eve, there's going to be the necessity of death. The life is in the blood, but when there's the letting of the blood, then death enters in. And so he's lending impact to the things that he's telling them. Now, when we speak of the blood of Christ and the cleansing blood and the shedding of the blood, what we're really talking about is Christ's death. We're talking about what occurred upon the cross. It was necessary for that Lamb of God to die in order to take away the sins of the world. So there's Christ upon the cross. And we've seen the the movies and the pictures of everything that has happened from the beatings and the and the scourgings, and it, it is that which grips your heart as you see that, that happening. But again, that exterior is really a picture of the interior. 
because there he is. He's preparing this night before. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, what was it that really caused him to actually sweat blood? It was that, that punishment that he was going to receive. But again, not the physical punishment, but he was about to take the sins of the world upon himself. We've looked at this before. For the very first time in history, now this isn't just the history of the world. This is the history of Christ who always was, past eternity, for the very first time, this, this man of perfection, God, is going to take sins upon him. The Bible describes it as he became sin for us. He became sin and he received punishment. Now, the punishment wasn't the spearing and the nailing and the spitting and, and all of that stuff. It was punishment from the Father. Now, to such a degree was this going on, and, and just think of that picture. From noon to three, what was there? Darkness. Now, how long was sin upon the Lord? My guess would be from noon to three. Because as sin comes upon him, for that three hours, in essence, the picture here is, there's no hope for mankind. There's no hope whatsoever. Because what's that darkness a picture of? Outer darkness? picture of separation from God. There's no glory of God. He's taken sin upon him, and so now he's receiving punishment. Not for his sins. There are sins. There's no doubt about it, but there is sin upon him. But it wasn't until his death that he paid the price, just as surely as that lamb was able to cover sin. But now here's the perfect blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that now has washed sins away. And now there's all the hope in the world, in the universe, if you will, because of that death and because of that blood that cleanses us from all of our unrighteousness. Thirdly, it was necessary for Messiah to die because of the love that God had to such a degree that he sent a substitute. I'll skip down to verse 27. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. It's appointed for man to die once. We don't know that day. Assuming, you know, barring the rapture of the church. Everybody, we, we, we've, got a, we've got a date in God's book, if you will. It's not that God is guessing or God has, is projecting forward. God inhabits eternity. He knows the day of your death. It's appointed to death. So when I look at that, I have a confidence as I do funerals, as a confidence in my, my own day of death, whenever that's going to be. It's appointed by God. That tells me that's a very holy day in my life. It's a holy day. It's a day that God is bringing me unto himself. Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And oh, as Job said, oh, how my heart yearns within me for that day. I don't, God has given us a sanctity, a desire for sanctity of life. I don't want to go one day sooner, but I so look forward to being in the presence of the Lord. Older I get, the worse things get out there. You kind of wonder, what in the world am I holding on to anymore? But no, we are to be here in order to make disciples, to share the word and to spread the love of God. But it's appointed for men to die once. But after this, man's going to be judged. For the born-again believers, we'll be judged in regard for rewards. But everybody else, they're going to be held until that day of that great white throne judgment. For those, for those who, well, they're not seen as if they have never sinned. They're still seen as sinners because they have depended upon their own righteousness, and all of their righteousness is as filthy rags. 
What are we going to be clothed in? We're going to be clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, without spot, without stain, before the Father, and we are going to be able to enter in and refer to him as Abba, Father. So Christ was offered once. Again, the mindset to the Jew, who the writer of Hebrews is writing to, these things had to go on and on and on and on. We were looking at the Sabbath not too long ago, and we know those people who say that we need to be worshiping on the Sabbath and, and all of that stuff, but really the Sabbath was never intended to be a day of worship. It was a day off. Because every day you needed to be offered the sacrifice, you needed to know what the day was, the holiday, and all of these things. And Sabbath was to be a break from that. But here, Christ, again to the Jewish mind, this speaks volumes, was offered once, one time, just that one sacrifice, to bear the sins of many. And you're in there. You're part of the many. For everybody who is born again believer, who has received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, you're part of that many. And so we look back and we see the things that are going on today. I'm not we're why, but I mean what we're celebrating this time of the year. And this is the most holy time because this is the time that all of Mike's sins were dealt with. I, I had the penalty of death upon me and I couldn't do anything. I'm the kind of person that if there's a situation going on, if there's a hardship or whatever, I'm of the mindset, I'll just dig in and try harder. I'll work harder, I'll put more time in, I'll put more effort in. Whatever's necessary, I'm going to do. But for the longest time, as far as my sinful condition, there's nothing I could have done. If there was, I I would have done it, but I, I, I couldn't. There wasn't. And as that was the case, we were powerless and we were headed towards that day of judgment. But then there was that day that Christ entered in. Christ, as I saw him then, upon the cross for who he was. And then all these little fragments that I had started coming together and this great truth that we have been given through the Word of God simply made so much sense and it radically changed my life and it brought me from the point of death into this new life. That whatever it is that the Lord has for me in the future, I know that I'm in His hands. If the Lord should take my life, then I'll be in His presence. If the Lord keeps me here, then I'm going to be doing His service. Whatever it might be, my confidence, our confidence is in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Final contrast, the old and the new. The old covenant, repeated sacrifices. The new covenant, one sacrifice. Old covenant, the blood of others. New covenant, his own blood. Old covenant, covered sin. New covenant, put sins away. Old covenant for Israel only, new covenant for all sinners. Old covenant left the holy of holies, new covenant entered heaven and remains there. Old covenant blessed the people, new covenant will take his people with him. And there we will live for eternity. Oh, how our hearts yearn within us. Father, we just thank you, Lord. There was that marvelous transition That marvelous transition back in that day when you were having that supper with your disciples. And Lord, as you instituted that very first Holy Communion, that Holy Communion, Lord, that men sat around that table and communed with you. And just, Lord, what a blessing that is. And Father, oh, how we wish that we were there. But Father, we can experience that with one another here even tonight. 
And, and, and Lord, as, as that which they dined upon, Lord, has become part of who they are, our beliefs have become part of who we are. And then, Father, as they partook of your death and your resurrection, and it's that which motivated them, I pray, Father, it would be that which would motivate us in ministry as well. And so, Father, these things are just so great and they're so beyond us, but you have given them to us, Father, that we would grasp onto them, that we would hold them dear within our lives, and that we would rejoice, Lord, in all that you have done. And so, Father, I I pray that we would take this time that the world has fostered Easter bunnies and all that other garbage, but, Father, we would rejoice in your goodness and your love as it was displayed towards mankind, not only upon the cross, but it was proven through your resurrection. And so, Father, may we, the church, stand up and be counted, rejoice, but also, Father, go out and tell others the good things that Christ has done for them. And so, Lord, we just thank you and praise you this evening. We pray, Father. Lord, I pray for all of those who have come out tonight. I pray that you would fill them with your spirit. Lord, there's a lot of us that are going into households of friends and families this weekend, and I pray for the opportunities that you give us, Father, that we would be counted faithful in it, that you would give us the words to speak, that you would give us a boldness, and that, Lord, we ultimately would see you glorified just through our humble lives. And so, Father, we just thank you and praise you this evening that you'd be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.